0: hey you're listening to the house of prayer leadership podcast my name is matthew Lilly. i'm the host of another podcast called presence pioneers but we have this house of prayer leadership podcast for you as a resource for leaders who are hosting prayer meetings in their city these are recordings provided by brad stroop from the prayer room in dallas fort worth texas and he's allowed us to take these training recordings and provide them to you as a free resource on this House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. Now, these are a number of years old, but they're going to provide some amazing practical training for anyone who's trying to organize people to pray, especially for multiple prayer meetings every week. And so we wanted to provide these to you as a resource, and I hope they're super helpful for you. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop and the prayer room in Dallas, Fort Worth for allowing us to repurpose these trainings. And if you'd like to connect to a podcast that's putting out new content on a regular basis, then we would love to have you also join us for the Presence Pioneers podcast, which is available on all platforms and is also available at PresencePioneers.org. And the heart of the Presence Pioneers podcast is to equip you to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. And so we have Bible teachings as well as interviews with leaders in the worship and prayer movement to help inspire you and equip you to host the presence of God. Please enjoy this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast with Brad
1: Stroop. Okay, building your team, session one, choosing leadership. So what we want to do in uh, this uh, leadership track is we want to talk about uh, the, uh, the importance of having leaders, the way that those leaders uh, can uh, relate to your ministry, the different categories of leadership. Um, as you grow as a house of prayer, uh, you know, you'll probably start off, you know, pretty small and then hopefully grow a little bit and then grow a little bit more. We'll talk about uh, some of the uh, uh, leadership strategies approaches positions that make sense kind of in that journey uh because there's some things that like we do right now as a missions base that's going 18 hours a day um that those leadership positions and roles don't have any place at all for somebody that's just getting started because there's uh there's more need for you know when there's larger infrastructure and such so what we want to talk about this when i'm I'm calling this uh, uh this leadership track building your team Um, I'm thinking about not just your primary leadership, but really, really the team in all honesty is the community that's going to run with you on this. And, and in a lot of ways, those that are going to have any participation with you, uh, on a regular basis, they're a part of your team. And to some degree, they're really a leader because you're going to have a a much larger majority that are going to come and visit and never get involved. Uh, they'll come and visit maybe even, uh, some of them maybe once a month and still not really get plugged in. And so you've got to have a, a core of people that are kind of carrying the vision together. And that's really what I'm talking about. So I'm going to, uh, shoot, uh, uh, from, you know, all the way to the senior leadership team, all the way down to the visitor that just turned into a person that's, uh, committing to like one prayer meeting a week, kind of a concept, because really all of that is the team that you're going to be building the house of prayer with. <clears throat> and so, uh, that's the, the point of this session is specifically to look at uh, some of the leadership roles and, uh. More specifically, the, the ones that are going to actually, you know, carry the title of leader uh, is kind of what this uh, first session is focused at. And so uh, the first thing that I want to just point out in this uh, concept of building the house of prayer is you cannot do this by yourself. Uh, it, it's there's too much work. There's too much labor. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about even running a church uh, and a small church uh, typically may have one or two meetings a week you got a Sunday morning service and maybe a Wednesday night service. Well, in all, uh, you know, uh, realism, if that was all that a pastor was doing, uh, that pastor could probably pull off the majority of the planning, organizing, and preparing for a Sunday morning service, as well as a Wednesday night service, if they had 30, 40, 50 people, maybe 100 people even, they could pull all that off. And it'd be helpful if they had some volunteers. But when we're talking about building a house of prayer, you're talking about daily prayer meetings. So now you're talking about the necessity to prepare for administrate and organize people together every day of the week, or at least, you know, Monday through Friday kind of a thing. And so you, you immediately, even if you've only got four people in the ministry, you immediately doubled or tripled or more the amount of services that you're doing, if you will, where you're coordinating people. So you've got to have others that are helping you. And, um, I just, uh, looking back on how we, uh, did our process, I wish I would have had this uh, point of clarity uh, clearer sooner, uh, because I would have done things a little bit differently instead of waiting as long as we waited uh, for me to be able to put uh, leaders into place. Um, so I want to suggest that you get started immediately. Uh, whenever you're at in the process of your building the House of Prayer, you're going to start one, or you've already started one, uh, I want to suggest that you start looking at who it is that you can uh, begin to put in some uh, even introductory uh, leadership positions uh, earlier as opposed to later and that you're looking for uh, the capable people that are already with you, that you have running with you now. Um, one point that I don't think I included it in the notes and I, I just want uh, <clears throat> to touch on now because it's coming to my, my brain is you would much rather appoint people that are running with you that already have the vision a little bit about what you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean, they're coming to prayer meetings with you. You'd much rather appoint them, even if they're far less gifted or talented or experienced, as opposed to bringing somebody from without and bringing them in to be a leader, because that person may not have the DNA of the house of prayer at all. They may not think like you think they may not, uh, you know, be processing it all like you process. And uh, that can wind up, even if they're super gifted, that can wind up uh, creating some significant challenges because this thing called the house of prayer is such a different animal than any other form of ministry that we're familiar with. And so even if that person that you're thinking of <clears throat> is so gifted in whatever other ministry, they're carrying with them that DNA and that thought process and that <clears throat> you know way of doing ministry. And uh, it's really important that, um, that the leaders that you have that are building the house of prayer with you, uh, have your DNA, if you will. And the best way to do that is to raise them up from within as opposed to recruiting from without. So just a little touch point there. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we do in these, um, in these uh, leadership tracks is really cover a lot of practical information. And in all honesty, we're just looking at Lessons that we've learned and, uh, and, and unfortunately, as a Bible teacher, it it bugs me a little bit, but, but we're doing it for a specific reason. Unfortunately, we actually don't even look at a bunch of Bible passages in most of these trainings because we're specifically looking at the nuts and the bolts of how do you run a house of prayer? And so many of those details, uh, we didn't have written down in the Bible. Um, but there are some principles that we can take away that are, uh, super helpful and foundational for us. And on this particular point about choosing our leadership, uh, I just want to look at the, account of uh, Moses and Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And Moses gets all the people out of Egypt, and now they're out in the desert. And Moses is more or less running the nation of Israel, if you will, out in tents and uh, and such out in the desert. And he's doing the best that he can. He's an inexperienced leader. He's never had to do this before. Uh, He's just trying to do the best that he knows. And I don't in any way think that he had a, a, a Messiah complex, and he just thought he had to be the one guy that did it all. I think he just did not have the revelation of the concept of delegating work. I think he just had never thought of that before. And so uh, in this scenario, his father-in-law comes in and uh, gave you the passage here. So we'll just go ahead and read it real quick. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening, which is terrifying uh, to do anything from morning till evening with people standing around you waiting for their turn. I mean, when do you go to the bathroom? Like, when do you eat? This is miserable. This is, this man is going to die soon if he doesn't fix this situation, because this is a hard way to live. <clears throat> they sit around from morning to evening. His father-in-law, uh, when his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing for all the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? Well, all these uh, people stand around you from morning till evening. Notice Jethro saw it. Jethro saw He's like, listen, Mo, I love you if you keep doing this, you are a dead man. This, this will kill you. What you are doing is not good. I mean, this is you know, how many of you want your father-in-law to rebuke you, you know, you, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I mean, Jethro just goes at it. He says it six ways. I mean, he's like, don't do this anymore. Stop, quit it. Need a new game plan. <clears throat> Select capable men from all the people. Capable men. So that's it's <clears throat> a big uh, piece. That's the reason I you know I wrote it in there is <clears throat> you want to select capable people, and you'll have to you know kind of do a little journey a little bit of interview process uh, to figure out who those people are. But select capable people and appoint them as officials over thousands hundreds, and hundreds and fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people and bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. And that will make your load lighter because they will share in it with you. And if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Um, I know for me, a, uh, I've gotten a lot better at it now and it, it's, it's not a struggle anymore, but it was a significant struggle for me to figure out how to, uh, delegate responsibility, uh, because, um, you just, you know, you've heard the term, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Uh, well, in the moment, that's probably true. I mean, if you want it done right, right now, and you've never trained that person that you're about to ask to do something, yeah, they're going to mess it up. And so if you want it done right, you better do it yourself. But a smarter person trains people so that the third time they ask them to do something, that person does it right, and you don't ever have to do that thing again. <clears throat> and, uh, and that was a real struggle for me partly because I was busy and I know that that'll be a, a significant you know uh, a reality point for for many of you as you guys get different work started as you're you're working a full-time job and trying to do the house of prayer and you're going to church and you got this and you got family and and uh you put all that together and it makes for a very busy uh, uh circumstance but I just want to tell you learning to delegate is not a good idea it is the only way to survive this you have to learn how to delegate responsibilities and I just I just, uh I would encourage you to hear Jethro's words milling through your own head when you think you're just going to do this by yourself. What you're doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. Just hear that just resonating like, okay, this is not good. This is not smart. I'm only going to wear myself out and I'm going to wear them out. Wearing them out. Let me tell you what wearing them out looks like. There's only one of you who's able to do, help, lead, teach, whatever it is, whatever the area it is that needs to be delegated. There's only one of you and there's 20 people, and each one of those 20 people wants some of your time or your input or whatever, and you've only got time for three of them, and you've got 17 ticked people, you are wearing them out, and they'll leave the ministry. They'll leave because they didn't get any time from you. Well, what they really needed was time from someone, and maybe they needed time from someone who had your DNA, but it didn't have to be you every time. And so you're wearing them out, you're wearing yourself out. You're hurting the ministry because if you could have figured out a way to get those other 17 people ministered to with whatever they needed, they just had a question. I mean, they didn't need, like, lunch with you. They just had a question about whatever the situation was. But they were in line waiting to talk to you, if you will. And uh, and you didn't get to them. And if you could have just gotten to them, they might have become one of your next great worship leaders or you know, administrators or helpers or whatever. And you didn't even know that because you didn't get to them. And part of the reason for that is, the delegation point. So, uh, the more that I've done, you know, different ministry, uh, and, and specifically house of prayer stuff, the more I've realized it is way better to lose out on the short end to make a long-term investment <clears throat> so that in the long run, you're stronger and the ministry, uh, uh, has got, you know, more stamina. And what that looks like is investing in people Recognizing when you delegate something to somebody, they are going to do it horribly. That's okay. That's life. When you tell when when they do it the second time, they're still going to do it bad, but it'll be a little better than the first time because you gave them some instruction. Third time, they're going to start to get it, and by, by the third or fourth time, you're going to be able to actually hand it off to them and just check in on them instead of looking over their shoulder the whole time. <clears throat> this is the process. But think about if you were able to go through that painful process, and I'll tell you, it's painful. But if you were able to go through that painful process on 30 things you do, well, now in a year, you don't have to do any of those 30 things. You can do 30 different things. But in a year, if you haven't delegated those things, as in gone through the whipping, I'm talking about getting in the ring with Mike Dyson and letting him punch your face out. It's a beating trying to get people learning to, to delegate and getting people to a point where they can actually handle the responsibility where you don't have to watch them like a hawk. It's painful. But if you can go through that, you can now empower other people. You can get them actually doing part of the work of the ministry, and you can now begin to take on new things. And as a leader, uh, if you're not able to continue to take on new things, the ministry is at a standstill until you can, because you are going to be the head visionary, the head you know, driving force, probably the hardest worker. And so you need head visionary, hardest worker, driving force to be continually investing in new endeavors. And you can't do that when you're having to maintain all your old endeavors. And the only way to be able to get those off of your plate is to delegate them. And so uh, this process is essential. Everyone, every leader anywhere needs to learn how to delegate. But for the house of prayer, again, going back to that concept of a startup church that's got a Wednesday night service that's, you know, know, sparsely attended, and their Sunday morning service, the pastor can handle that. But if that pastor had five services in a week, six, ten, twenty, now there's no way he could. And you're in that boat. As soon as you start a house of prayer, you're talking about daily prayer meetings or more, you know, uh, it becomes too much work to try to be able to pull off on your own. And uh, and so you've got to learn how to delegate. And uh, And I just want to, you know, give you the, I want to give you permission to work through your frustration when you're delegating things to people and they're messing it up because that is the process. Just like you messed it up. When somebody delegated something to you, you needed a little bit of instruction, a little bit of TLC, you know, some people just kind of watching over your, uh, your shoulder and helping you out a little bit. And as a result, you got a little bit better at whatever it was. So, uh, learning to delegate, to delegate. And part of the way you can do this, uh, I know this was really helpful for me. Um, I would look at the things that I was doing and I would, I would think so many of these tasks that I'm doing, it really has to be me that's doing it. And that's true for some things. And you'll learn which ones are and which ones aren't. <clears throat> there are certain things that you really don't want somebody else doing. You know, I'll give you a, for instance, let's pretend you, uh, you're you just getting started and the local media cares about what's happening and they send somebody over to do a little interview. You don't want that to be anybody but you. You better be the one in, behind that microphone. That's the kind of thing you don't want to delegate. Well, that's a bit of a you know, big example. But my point is there are things you don't want delegated. But what I started to realize was too many things were things I couldn't delegate. And I started to brainstorm, well, what do I do about this? Because these things really are. And I, what I decided to do was to sit down and to try to dissect each one of those things to its most basic components. So, you know, uh, whatever it would be. Uh, I mean, I'll just, I'll make up an example. I don't even remember uh, what, what ones were on my plate at the time. I'm just thinking about uh, training prayer leaders. So that's, that's one. If you don't have anybody that knows how to train prayer leaders, uh, you know, on what the model is, what you're doing as a house of prayer, it needs to be you until you've got somebody else trained. <clears throat> well, what I would do is I'd sit down and spend an hour or 30 minutes and I'd say, okay, what components of prayer leader training can I hand off? I maybe can't hand off all of it right now, but what parts of it could I hand off? Well, I could hand off recruiting people to come to a prayer training meeting. I can hand that off. So I, I, may, I st- may still need to be the one that's doing the prayer training, but I could break down prayer training into recruiting people to come to the prayer training, into greeting people when they get to the prayer training, into following up with people after the prayer training, into what I, I figured out how to take a concept And then break that down into smaller chunks, and I could assign the smaller chunks. And now, while I still may need to be involved in that process, there's multiple pieces of it that I actually just took off my plate and were able to hand off to somebody else. And I was able to give them a little bit of an instruction about how to do it, and then they were able to take it on and do it well. And so my point with that is, Wherever you find that there are areas of the ministry that you're having a difficult time delegating, or you just think about it and go, I just don't feel safe handing that off or handing that off yet. Maybe you'll get to that point. See if you can't break that thing down into smaller chunks, because normally whatever it is that's a to-do is actually a series of to-dos that make up a to-do. You know, that's that's kind of how this works most of the time. It's make these phone calls, do these things, do these follow-ups, fill out this piece of paper, you know, post this thing, hang up this poster. I mean, it's whatever the thing is, there's normally multiple pieces of it, and really you're only having to do like one or two of those components. <clears throat> so that's a, a big piece uh, to uh, helping you uh, delegate is figuring out how to break the work down. <clears throat> Next is empowering people to do the work. And uh, <clears throat> what I mean by this is... uh one of the things that, uh, can be frustrating is when you give somebody a task and you think the task is simple enough and you ask them to do it and, uh, they do a pretty awful job or they don't do anything and just kind of, you know, they're in, they're in stall mode for a week, two weeks, three weeks. <clears throat> What i found to be one of the biggest reasons for uh, both, and that is they're stalled out, not doing anything, or they uh, are doing it in a way that isn't at all what you were after, is mostly your fault. Uh, it's almost, I mean, it's 10% their fault. The 10% is they should have asked. But the 90% your fault is you did not give them clear enough instruction for them to feel empowered to be able to do it. So instruction is empowering. Authority is empowering. Permission to use resources and tools is empowering. You know, uh, and I'm just thinking if you need somebody to make a poster, I'm breaking this down to like the most simple stuff here. Uh, so <clears throat> you need somebody to make a poster that says house of prayer meets here. Okay. And, uh, and you ask somebody and, uh, and they're, you know, they're 20 and they're willing and they're helpful and they, they love Jesus and they love you. And you say, hey, will you make me a poster that says House of Prayer meets here? Smiley face, you know, and they say, yes. And then you leave thinking that project's done. But you didn't tell them where to get a poster, where to get markers, where you want the poster hung. Well, that's all your fault. Now, granted, 10%, they should have asked you. But maybe they were timid. They didn't want to let you down. Maybe they forgot. Maybe, maybe they, I don't know, 100 things. Um And so you want to, you know, empower them and go, okay, so here's the $5, go to Walmart, buy the poster, do that. You want to go as far as you can with the instruction. And, uh, and been, been my experience that, uh, that you probably don't want to have quite as much faith in mankind as, as you currently do. You, you want to figure, uh, they're going to do a rough job unless you give them all the tools that they need until they've uh, proven otherwise. And, uh, and that's okay because we're all that way in some areas. You know, I can think of things that my wife asked me to do that I'm still like a complete bumbling idiot. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm like, I need to structure these treat me like I'm five. Tell me, tell me like I'm in kindergarten and I'll do it right. I promise. And so, uh, but I've figured that out. So I asked, I'm that 10%. You know, I'm fixing that 10%. I'm just like, I'm an idiot. You got to help me. Come on. What, what are we doing here? And so, um, so, so the, the components of this in order to be able to delegate Empower them. Empowering is making sure you've given them the clear instruction, making sure they have all the tools and the resources available, and making sure uh, that in, in bigger cases, obviously we're not talking about a poster at this point, but I'm just thinking, let's let's say you just delegated the responsibility and now someone is your prayer leader trainer. Okay, they're actually now in charge of that. Everyone in your world needs to know that they are the prayer leader trainer. Otherwise, people are going to st- still be coming to you. Otherwise, people are going to undermine that person's authority that you gave them. I mean, you you said you're the prayer leader trainer. But if you didn't tell everybody else, hey, this person, prayer leader trainer, if you don't tell everybody, then you're actually not empowering that person to be able to do their job. And so it's helpful. Sometimes that's an email. It's a conversation. It's a whatever. I mean, you know, picture on the wall. Uh, but finding a way to communicate and empower people to be able to do their jobs so that uh, uh, people understand that they can go to them because there's nothing more frustrating on the receiving end than wanting to be helpful, having the ability to be helpful, having the skills, the tool set, you know, the, the tools, whatever, and not having people's support to be able to pull the thing off that, uh you know, that you, the leader had appointed that person to be able to do. So empowering is, you know, multifaceted and you want to make sure that you empower people because otherwise what's going to happen is. They're not going to do the thing that you delegated to them to do. And your initial, uh, response can easily be frustration, but a lot of times the frustration really needs to be turned back on yourself and go, Oh Lord, forgive me. And oh person, forgive me. Cause I didn't actually equip you with what you needed to be able to do the task. Um, so that's a, that's a huge, huge piece that you just want to, uh, you know, keep, um, you know, in your, in your mind as you're empowering people to do delegated tasks. You've got to think what is everything that they need in order to be able to pull this off and pull it off. Well, and I'll give you one more component of that empowering, follow up with them and ask them a day later, a week later, whatever makes sense. Hey, is there anything else you need? Are you good? How are we doing on this? And it's not so much a checking in on them. Are they working hard? You might need to do that too. It's more a, you're checking in on yourself to make sure you gave that person everything they need to be able to do their job and Uh, and so that's, that's helpful. Okay. So, uh, the, this concept of delegating, um, I'm at the top of page two, if you're in the notes, I want to talk about immature leaders. Um, concept here is that, uh, there is no such thing as a leader that was born with, uh, great leadership. Uh, leaders are forged. They are made through circumstances, pain, uh, mistakes, experience, opportunity, watching, delegating, all those different things. The painful truth of the matter is that uh, immature leaders are probably all you'll get. And so instead of complaining about that, do something about it. If a super mature leader didn't get that way overnight, they got that way through process and mentorship and help and encourage, well, then get that person there. Look for willing, not mature. Just look for willing. And, and, you know, something that the Lord just, I don't remember exactly how he spoke it to me, but it was so clear. I'll just say it that way. It was something that was just, it struck me so clearly in those first couple of years as we got started, after I saw what things were like without other leaders in position, I just, uh, it just became so clear to my heart that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me Even bad leaders are better than no leaders. Even super immature leaders are better than no leadership. I mean, take the worst, roughest, I mean, diamond in the rough or rough in the rough. I mean, take anything is better than nothing uh, because at least you got something to work with, you know, to be able to start, you know, moving things forward. And so I just want to encourage you to not be um, deterred, to not be, uh, you know, intimidated. Um by the immaturity of leaders instead look at it as you're making an investment and don't give an immature leader too much you know are they are they really will you know maybe cause a little mess um but give them what they can handle and stretch them and then push them a little more and then push them a little more and uh and and just look over their shoulder just kind of watch them and I would encourage you because um you can you can get by with a lot more as a leader if you're really open about what you're doing. I'll give you, for instance, you just put somebody in a leadership position. You tell them, Hey, I like you. Well, I like you too. I'm going to be watching you like a hawk. Okay. Are we still friends? I'm going to be looking over your shoulder because I want to help you. I want to make sure everything goes okay. I want to, I want to be there to help and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to, uh, giving them, uh, a sense of, uh, a false sense that you think everything's going to be great and that you're never going to have to step in and help them with their stuff. Just tell them on the front end, listen, I'm going to be here and I'm probably going to be checking in on you. And I'm going to, I'm going to be like looking over your shoulder. I'm going to be trying to help because I want to get you to a point where you can kind of soar on your own, you know, get that baby bird out of the nest. And so uh just let them know. And uh, And normally, even if they're a little irritated by that, they're way less irritated by that than they are them looking over and seeing you look over their shoulder and it's a surprise to them. You know, they're like, what? what's going on? Nothing. Just just checking. You got some dandruff on your shoulder. It's Just hanging out. I'm just, just chilling. I'm just over here. I mean, when you start checking in on them, if you didn't tell them you're going to, you have a chance for offense. And of course, we want to do everything we can to avoid offense in our own hearts and avoid provoking people to offense. I mean, there's nothing worse than, than being uh, the fire starter. So do everything you can to, uh, uh, to help immature leaders. But you don't have to avoid immature leaders because more than likely, the harsh reality, that's going to be what you, most of us get, it, start off with. And uh, I was a y- immature leader, and I had to learn stuff. And, and that's the only way you ever grow as a leader. <clears throat> so what I want to do now in uh, the second part here is uh, I'm going to look at the qualities of a leader. So pretty much all we've uh, done at this point is we've said, leader's good. I mean, that's about all we've said. And then we said, delegate, raise up some. What I want to do in this uh, uh section is talk about <clears throat> what it is that you're looking for uh in a leader. So, <clears throat> first point is uh you want to be prayerful, you want to use wisdom, you want to ask the Holy Spirit for a check if you're about to make a, m- a mistake. I mean, sometimes things can look good on paper, and the Holy Spirit warn you and go, Don't do that. That is a bad plan. Trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've seen some stuff that looked good on paper and I was just sorry that I did it, you know, uh, cause I didn't listen to that little voice, that check. So, uh, so do things prayerfully and follow wisdom. And, uh, I want to encourage you to promote character over gifting 100% of the time. Gifts come from God. Character is the response of the human heart to God. So, so gifting, I mean, God can raise up rocks to praise Jesus. And it's like, we don't gifted people, you can pray a gift on a humble heart, you know, but you can't make a person have character who's super gifted. In fact, lots of times if they don't have it, it's a long hard road to get a super gifted person who doesn't have character to begin to have character. And so you might go, well, but this person's really got some awesome connections. Great. Figure out a way to use those connections without giving them a place of leadership. Well, this person's really gifted. That's great. Figure out a way for them to, I don't know, prophesy on the side or something and and tell you what they got without giving them a place of leadership in your ministry. Figure out a way to be able to, if you can tap into some of what they got, and that's it all still works without giving them a place of leadership, That's that's good. But the person who's got character is malleable. They can grow, and the Lord says that he promotes the humble, but he brings down the haughty. The last thing you want is for the Lord to be against your ministry because of who you put in leadership. I mean, what a, I mean, I'd rather have the grace of God in my life and have a bunch of people who ain't got nothing going for them. Let's just all seek God and get something going for us. And so, I, so promote character, over-gifting every single time. Look at the way they live their life, the way that they speak, the way they carry their hearts. Are they humble? Are they correctable? Are they teachable? Look for all those things. That is so much better than gifting, but immediately, our our uh, our desire to build something awesome for God. I mean, that's what leaders do. They want to build something awesome for God, whether it's this church or this ministry or this outreach or this house prayer. We want to build something awesome for God. That that tendency has us like a magnet, homing beacon on gifted people, because we just look at we do. Oh, you could do great things here, and that's that's not wrong. You just you really want to be careful that. Uh, if they, if they're super, uh, uh, humble and they got a great, you know, um, character and they also happen to be gifted, that's the best thing in the world. But if you've got to choose, choose the humility, choose the character, choose the love's righteousness, uh, as opposed to, uh, the gifting, because that will bite you every single time. Uh, a person of questionable character who is put into authority will cause problems for you and cause problems in the kingdom and give Jesus a bad rap. I mean, don't don't give people authority who uh, shouldn't have it, even though they're gifted. And, and one of the things in our own heart might be, well, isn't God the one that gave him the gift? God's gifts and his call are irrevocable, and they're free, and he hands them out. And honestly, when I stand up there with him, I'm going to have a couple of questions about why he gifted so-and-so. But he's in charge. He's the one who gets to. But don't promote gift, promote character. Um, picking those who are called. Now, we'll get into this more in, in some of the later sessions as we talk about um, how all this plays out exactly. But uh for those who are going to be, you know, uh who are going to help you build the house of prayer, you really want to look at those that feel called to do it. And what I mean by that is I've known a number of people over the years that they were called to be my friend. I mean, we were buddies. They love me. I love them. And they were coming and doing the house of prayer with me because they loved me and because we were friends. And sometimes the Lord uses even those relational lines to call people in to the house of prayer, but not every time. And, uh, they're going to be those that are your friend. They love you, but they're going a different direction. They're not really called to do the house of prayer. And, uh, and again, that you, you want to do your best to not put those people in leadership. Keep, be best friends. Go out to lunch with them on Wednesday. That's great. But as soon as you start to put them in a place of leadership that they're not really called there long term, and you can tell that, you can kind of tell by the way that they uh, relate to you, by the way that they uh, carry themselves, by the way that, and I'm not talking about bad fruit. I'm just saying maybe disinterest is a better way to say it, as opposed to like bad fruit of the spirit, This interest It's kind of like, but not really in it, you know, and uh, you want to uh, be careful uh, to to put those into places of leadership that are going to uh, help you sustain it long term. And the best way to do that is identify if they feel called. And you can just flat ask them, do you feel called to do this? Like, this is kind of a crazy thing we're doing, huh? Yeah, I don't really don't know what we're doing here. Uh, I like you, and I love going out to lunch with you on Wednesdays. And then I come here to do this prayer meeting with you because you drag me every week. But I really don't have a clue what's going on. Yeah, that's probably not the one you want in charge of even one one-hundredth of the ministry. Uh, and. And so, uh, so pick those that are called specific qualities that you want to look for. And I know that this is so elementary, but sometimes when you just look at a one, two, three list of elementary stuff, it helps put things in order in your brain so quick. So some specific qualities you want the hardest workers, man, for those that are going to be in places of leadership, you want those that are willing to work their tail off. They're willing to go the extra mile, do the extra thing. Those who will be faithful in prayer, and a lot of the ways that you tell if somebody will be is, have they been? And uh, uh, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about this thing that we're doing called the House of Prayer is the primary reality of it is being in prayer meetings. So you really want people who have that as a core value, who care about prayer, who care about the presence of the Lord, and who care about helping the process go along and they show that by actually being a part of it and doing it, not about talking about it. And so, uh, you really want those that are faithful in prayer. Your leaders, you may, you may surprise yourself. Some of your leaders may be the, uh, not eloquent, eloquent, uh, speakers, Moses, uh, that happen to be in your prayer meetings all the time. Praising Jesus, and really, all they ever want to do is just be in the prayer meeting. They really don't even want to do any work. They don't even want to be a leader. Sometimes those are the best leaders because they're not even after it. They're not trying to do. They just love Jesus. Like man, who better to lead than the one that just I just want Jesus, guy or gal, who's faithful, who's humble, who's teachable, who doesn't have a gift or a skill set. They're just willing. I'll take willing over skill set any day, uh, because. You know, sometimes people will come in with their skill set or their gift, and it's something we don't even really need. I mean, it's awesome. God gave it to them. It's a great thing. Cool. It's just not really what we need. And so it's like, I'll take humble willing, will you do what I need you to do? Because right now we know what the Lord's telling us to do. We're supposed to be going in this direction. Can you help fit into this and just pour all your energy and do this? Well, yeah, I can do that. Great. I'll take that over the person that comes in who's got this great skill set or niche or whatever that just doesn't happen to be exactly what we're doing right now, you know, that we don't really need. And so it's like, so, so, uh, so take that, that willingness, faithfulness in prayer, servant hearted. I've touched on that a good bit, but that's, that's huge. If, if they're not willing to say yes, when you ask them to help you with the little stuff, they sure as heck aren't going to say yes. When you ask them to help with the big stuff and, uh, and those who are in line with the vision. and, And again, uh, they just, they get it a little bit. I don't mean they've got great revelation. I don't think I had great revelation when we started. I was just doing it because, you know, the Lord told me to and, and, uh, and we were taking steps forward. I got more vision as time went on, but you want those that are, that are running with you. They've got a little bit of a, of the vision of what you're trying to accomplish and like it. Uh, there's going to be those that might even run with you for a while that do it for some fringe reasons that aren't bad. I'm not condemning it. I mean, they love the community. I mean, you've got a great community that you're running with and they love being around for that. Uh, you're a good Bible teacher, you know, and you do a little Bible study somewhere in there. They love being around for that. That's, those are great fringe reasons, but you want to appoint leaders that get it. Man, we we need to build night and day prayer for Jesus, or even if it's not night and day, even if it's our vision is to have two prayer meetings a day, five days a week. You know, when we can build up to a morning prayer meeting and a night prayer meeting, Monday through Friday, um, and we want to do that because we want to see revival in our city. We want to see the hearts come alive of the people. We want to lift up uh, the name of Jesus. You know, they get the vision. That's a super important qualities in, uh, in leadership. And then on this, uh, I gave you the one that you definitely don't want to cross. And this is, uh, this one's a little bit difficult sometimes. And that is, you never want to empower contentious people, no matter what. A contentious person might be gifted. They might even be servant-hearted. They might have the vision. They might be with you the longest. They might be faithful in prayer. They may have all the other qualities going for them, but they're contentious. You need them to do something, and they got a little bit of a bad attitude about it or a big bad attitude about it. I don't mean once, like they had a bad day or or once a semester, you know, they had a bad day. I'm talking about regularly they are contentious. And uh, the word is, is clear on, on not putting contentious people in a place of leadership and actually being warned about them just even as a brother or sister in Christ. I've known some people over the years that had so much of this other stuff going on. And there were so many reasons why I wanted to put them in leadership, but I just had this check about this contentious thing. And it just, it kept coming up again and again. And I just said, you know what? I am not going to put that person in place of leadership because uh, I've seen people do it and it ruins ministries. Uh, because even if they're loyal to you as a leader and they're loyal to the vision, uh, contentious people have a, a tendency to start, uh, mouthing off and behind your back and causing, you know, divisions and rifts in the ministry. And it's not worth it. I mean, it's just not worth it. And, and, uh, and I'm telling you all this because more than likely, you know, most houses of prayer are going to start off with three, four, five or 10 people. And the problem is, You've got one contentious person in there, you know, you got three people that don't have the vision at all, and they're just around because you got food on, you know, Wednesday nights. Uh, you got this, you got this, and you look at it, you go, well, man, out of the eight people we got with us, I only got one. One is all you need, Ben. That is what you need. Get that one. Do good with the one. And then when you got time to turn you and the one into you and the one and another one, and now you got three, that's epic. Go slow, invest well follow these rules. Uh, if you don't, you'll just be sorry. So, I mean, again, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's your, you know, it's going to be your thing. You and the Lord work it all out. I'm just telling you, I've learned some things over the years. I've seen some things. I know what the word says about some stuff and, uh, trying to save you sorrow upon sorrow, uh, in the process of, uh, putting people into leadership. Okay. Now what I want to do, uh, at this point, is I want to shift into, uh, different leadership tiers, and we're going to cover, uh, these, uh, descriptions in, uh, in another session, most of them, and we're gonna uh, give a little bit more detail about what they do and how they do. My point isn't so much to, to nail down what each of these leadership tiers uh, does and how it's uh, so different from the others in this session. My intention here is to point out that there are different ways to employ people into leadership at varying levels that fit varying needs varying time schedules varying lifestyle uh capacities varying age brackets all those different varying skill sets there are different ways and the more ways you have that you can put people into real leadership positions at varying levels the more people you can get involved at a deeper level and that's that's crucial especially small houses of prayer the the uh the key for a small house of prayer um, is figuring out how to use the resources they have at their hands, at their uh, their arm's length, the absolute most efficient way possible, because you're probably not going to be able to double those resources, financial and human, uh, anytime soon. It's probably going to grow a little bit and then a little bit and a little bit. It's not like you're going to start off with 10 and by week five, you're going to have 20 people. It's not like you're going to have a, a little bit of money and then, uh, you know, three months in, you'll have 10 times as much money. It just, it's not how it works. So the key is figuring out how to be efficient. And part of that efficiency is figuring out how to get people involved at the deepest level that that individual can afford happily. So, uh, so if you only have one way to get involved, will you, if you want to be involved, you need to be one of my senior leaders. Well, the amount of, Righteousness required to be your senior leadership. They might not be able to even really make it. So that means you've just disqualified them at all from being deeply involved. You know, the amount of time committed. If you want to be involved, you got to be a full time staff member. You know, uh, if, if that's the only way for people to be able to be involved, you might just cut out 99.9% of the population because they don't have the time to do it that way. So my point here in this section is coming up with, and you, these are just ideas, examples, make up your own. Um, but these are just some ideas of, uh, different designations that appeal to different people for different things that are all going to serve in the ministry in some real way that has the term leadership attached to it at some level. And, uh, you know, to, to level, you know, level one, all the way to level 10 and each where, uh, each part in there or each step uh, of that journey, you can have different requirements, different expectations different amount of time that that they should serve, different responsibilities that they can serve. So uh, again, now that I've kind of said all that, I'm just going to read them more or less, give you the quickest little synopsis, because we'll look at some of these in a later one, uh, later session today, uh, as we talk about how to build your your, your staff and staff in the house of prayer. So having a senior leadership team, uh, if you have senior leaders, and again, if you're small, maybe you've only got one other senior leader that's with you, that's great. Um, But having them have a certain measure of expectation, Uh, amount of hours that they're doing, uh, time commitment, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Next page, staff members, uh, those that are going to commit to actually be staff. And again, you can change these terms. You can make them be whatever. I'm just trying to point out there's multiple ways that you can approach this thing called leadership, not just one way. Like we have leaders in our ministry and we have non-leaders. Here are the leaders and they all do this. Here are the non-leaders. Here's what they do. You You can divide leaders up in a lot of different ways in order to be able to fill holes and meet needs and, uh, and have various responsibilities. So we've got staff members. Then we got worship leaders. we got worship leaders that have a real role. I mean, they take a worship set. They're in charge of that worship set and they're not on staff. They're not a senior leader. They only come one time a week, but they're able to actually help lead worship in a real, you know, capacity of leading, uh, in, uh, in on a, on a weekly basis. And they don't, they don't have to be, you know, uh, you know, a, a staff member or whatever else to be able to do it. Same thing with prayer leaders. Uh, prayer leader, they may not need to be on your staff. They may not need to be super committed. They can maybe just come one time a week, but you really give them the responsibility and the training along with it to actually be able to prayer lead uh one of those uh prayer meetings that you've got. Section leaders, uh, once you grow uh, the the uh time that you're open uh a good bit, it's important to have managers on duty that can kind of serve to, uh, you know, field any questions, help with any issues that arise. Uh, if the plumbing breaks, you know, in the middle of a set, who's going to do that, you know, uh, who's going to fix that. If, if there's a problem, if the city comes in and says, Hey, what are you doing? I mean, it's helpful to have a manager on duty. And so that's what, what uh, section leaders do in a lot of ways for us. And then, uh, department leaders, again, as the ministry grows, uh, and you start working on how are you going to administrate all the different tasks? You'll have leaders uh, at various levels, uh, and you'll have a growing administration. And that administration, again, like we were talking about the whole Jeffro thing, is, uh, don't do it all yourself. Well, figure out a way to delegate some of those responsibilities. Well, this great thing about these, this, uh, category of leadership, they may not need to be musically inclined. They can be administratively inclined, you know? Well, now you've got a way to be able to put a leader in a position where they can actually do a good job of leading. And now their part in prayer meetings is participation instead of leading. They come into the meeting and they just sit and they're a part of the meeting from that standpoint, but they don't lead the prayer meeting. They lead the administrative side of things. And it's like, well, those are two different leaders doing two different things. And, uh, and you might have different, you know, qualifications, but my point with all that is there's a bunch of different ways, uh, that this can, uh, kind of flesh out and, uh, and look for you. Well, what I thought would be helpful is to give you just the quickest, a little run through of how we did things and kind of how things evolved over the years for us. Because I think some version of what we did will be a healthy uh, battle plan uh, for a lot of growing houses of prayer. Um, one of the things that's, uh, that's a bit tough uh, when you're trying to figure out how to do this thing called planting or establishing or building a, a house of prayer is uh, if you come to a ministry like this one, And you say, okay, well, what are you guys doing right now? What should we go do? And how are you guys doing things right now? Those are actually two very different questions. Um, What you really want to know is, what did you do at year one? Not what are you doing at year nine? Because what you did at year one is really what you're going to do at year one. And so uh, what I wanted to do in this was just kind of talk about the process that we went through. And and then we'll do some Q&A after uh, after this and, uh, and see if any of this might be helpful. So, um, again, we've been doing this for nine years. And when we started, uh, I didn't have a clue what we were doing, but I was very willing. And again, a willing heart will go get the answers, you know, and, uh, even a clueless one. And so when we started, uh, appointing leaders, it was pretty directionless. Honestly, it was like, I didn't even know what a leader was supposed to do in the ministry. You know, I I didn't have clarity about what all the tasks should be. And so I can remember when we first uh, put leaders in, into place, uh, it was kind of like, hey, will you be one of the leaders? Yes. Good. What does that mean? Not sure yet. Get back to you. Hey, how about you? Will you be one of the leaders? And it was just it was putting people leaders and then stood those few, you know, three or four or five people up in front of the rest of the other eight and said, hey, here are the leaders. And it was like, great. Let's eat. You know, what I mean, there wasn't a lot of uh, clarity on that, but what it did allow me to do, even at that elementary uh introductory form of appointing leadership because you go how was that helpful at all it was tremendously helpful because now i could i could ha- i had four or five point people that i could say hey listen can we all do this together can we can we work on this would you mind doing this task would you mind doing this and there was a sense of well hey we're leaders we're helping carry this ministry so yeah we'll do that where without that title without that sense of having a a role of leading uh their answer may well have been no. And so I'd meet, you know, with them, I don't know, once a week or once every other week or something, and we just we had the most informal little meeting, just talked about a couple of things, and the, they were, they were just the leaders. I mean, I we didn't know, I was just but they were helpful um because tasks could get delegated. I had I I had people that I knew cared about the ministry that I could bounce ideas off of. That's helpful as a leader. Sometimes you'll have an idea and it's terrible. And you won't know that until you say it out loud and everybody's eyebrows go up. You go, uh, Brad, we love you. But that's a really bad idea. Really? Why? And then they tell you one, two, three, and you go, oh, yes, glad we had your input or we would have killed us all. And so, uh, so it was very helpful. I mean, with so little structure, it, that was great. It was a great, it was a huge starting point from no leader to ambiguous leadership. I and mean, that was, that was way better than nothing. But then what, we, then what we did, kind of the next step that we did, is we assigned uh, leadership over various uh, aspects of the ministry, but very specific aspects, and said, hey, you're the leader, or the elder, or whatever, you're the leader over this specific area of the ministry. And in all honesty, uh, while that was another step for us, nobody really knew what that meant. I mean, so it's like, hey, now you're in charge of uh, the prayer side of things. People are like, oh, okay, and you're in charge of the worship side of things. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, we don't really know yet. We'll figure that out. But here's why it was helpful. Because the first step was, hey, you guys are leaders. So you're you're helping lead. So whenever anything came up in that little meeting, we had to figure out who was going to do what. And there was there wasn't any direction to it. Sometimes this person would be working on something administrative. Sometimes they'd be working on something prayer leader related. Sometimes they'd be working on something worship department l- related. Sometimes they'd be working on finance. And some, was, but when we said, no, 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 let's break this thing up and let's make five little parts of the ministry. And let's make you over, uh, make one of you over each one of those parts. And when things come up, now we'll be able to divide it into one of those five categories and everybody will know whose job it is. And so that was very, very helpful. A little time later, we put assistant directors uh, in place. And part of the reason that we did that was because we started to have more people come uh, around uh, who were getting involved. And I really needed uh, some right-hand men uh, to to get some stuff done. And so we divided the ministry into two categories. And I gave one guy, said, hey, this is your half. Another guy, this is your half. And then we still also had those other uh, leaders over specific uh, departments or, or areas, and they were able to kind of help those oversee those folks and and so things grew and, and when we did that, we still probably only had oh I don't know maybe maybe eight or ten people involved in any sort of leading capacity uh, and so and and leading think lowercase L leading. I mean, they weren't in charge of a lot of stuff, but put one assistant director over these four and one assistant director over these three or four. And I really started to be able to take some steps forward. When we introduced the concept of volunteer staff, that's when things started to take off for us. And the idea there uh, was to give more people less responsibility, but at a real level to be able to help build the ministry. And then we started to get lots of people joining and helping, and we'll cover that in a future session. Um, so I'm going to, the rest of this I've kind of already covered. Uh, so I'm going to uh, go ahead and transition now at this point uh, to questions, if we have any. And uh, just you know, raise your hand, and then I'll I'm going to repeat the question just to make sure we get the audio good. Yeah,
0: you talked about um, some of the I guess criteria that you look for, you know, the spirit, spirit and stuff like that. But are there some specific questions? And you you may do it more informally that you're you're kind of asking or waiting to to see come to fruition that you're looking for choosing.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The uh, question is, um, are there any specific questions or uh, even it's that's probably the safest way, any specific questions, uh, that looking to, to ask or get answered regarding, um, a person uh, to know whether they're leadership material for, for, you know, appointing in our, in our ministries context. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, the way that, uh, I answer that question is a little bit, uh, backdoor. And that is, over the course of time, we've developed some criteria of what each category of being involved looks like. So if you're going to be involved in our ministry as a volunteer staff member, we've got a sheet of paper that says what a volunteer staff member is. If you want to be involved as a prayer leader, we've got a sheet of paper that says, here's what a prayer leader is. A worship leader, we've got a sheet of paper that says, here's what a worship leader is. And so over the course of time, we've been able to develop these resources that then act as fielding elements for us. Because now I hand somebody a piece of paper and go, hey, are you interested in this? And they look at me and go, no. Good gosh, no. Oh, okay. Well, then you're probably not going to be a volunteer staff member. That's okay. It's okay. It's no problem. How about this one? You <laughs> give them a different piece of paper. And they go, oh, I like this. Well, think we found it then. And those sheets of paper include, uh, Hard questions. Those sheets of paper include, uh, job description and job description is either a magnet or a deterrent when somebody reads it. I mean, they look at it and go, icky, 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 icky. I don't want this. Or they, their eyes light up and go, I was made for this. Yes, you were. And so, uh, so the way I approach this, uh, the, the answer to the question is rather than ask probing questions, we've done enough work uh, up to this point of getting things documented on paper well enough that me or somebody in the ministry could go over those bullet points with somebody that's on that sheet of paper and get a really good feel within five minutes of whether that's a good fit or not. And, um, and to me, uh I look at it and go, anybody who fits the mold, who's willing to try, let's do it. You know, and uh, if they fit the mold and again, each category of leadership has, a uh an increased measure of you know requirements of commitments of righteousness of all that kind of stuff and so it it helps us to kind of uh figure that out so uh f- and and for me I would far rather kind of as that as you kind of move up the ladder I would far rather promote from within so those that are you know they started off as a bathroom cleaner and now they're a this or another ladder I'd rather do that process and just watch them kind of grow and blossom and mature as a leader uh and then put them in places of uh more uh Influential level of leadership, as opposed to bringing somebody in from without, like kind of we were talking about before. So, a uh, great question. What else?
0: Yeah. Uh When you were talking about the need for leaders and learning value, you mentioned three things that you need. And the first one was head visionary. Then there was two more. Do you remember?
1: Uh, hardest worker. You're going to be the head visionary, the hardest worker, and something. Um. yep don't know sorry about that well yeah that's why we record these huh uh, okay good uh, any other questions go ahead Ed. yeah um you were talking about yours the senior leadership team stuff and when putting that together is there a good number to like cap that off at um and Like, when would be a good time to start creating, like, the leadership tiers as opposed to just having your senior leaders? Yeah, great question. Uh, Twofold. Uh, Question one was, um, uh, is there a a number that makes sense uh, to shoot for of how many you want on a senior leadership team? And uh, the second question was, um, at what point in the ministry development does it make sense to start, coming up with different tiers of leadership as opposed to just having one tier. Uh, on the senior leadership team, I mean, it's it's really going to vary depending on the size of the ministry. Um, and so uh, if a ministry is small, you really only maybe need you. If, you. if the ministry grows a little bit, it's helpful to have, you know, a couple, three, four, five people. Uh, um, and if the ministry gets enormous, you're going to need more and even come up with, varying degrees of senior leadership. I mean, the senior leadership, tier one, senior leadership, tier two. So you, you kind of have to do that as you grow. The, the important part about all this whole concept, I think, is growing organically with the size and the need of the ministry. And so as opposed to uh, coming up with a plan, a strategy, we need this many of these, this many of these, this many. Instead, look at what you have and look at what you perceive to be the next step in ministry growth and try to have an infrastructure that matches somewhere in that. Uh, uh, to have it matched too far ahead uh, will strain everybody because they're doing too much work that isn't helpful immediately. To do it too far behind, you'll be lacking and, uh, and not have enough leadership. So, uh, so in answer to the question about how many, um, you really want to just be sensitive to how big is the ministry and how many tasks there are. As a ministry, so the reason I bring both of those up instead of just size As a ministry, we don't have that many people involved, but we do a lot. And so we need a lot of people in leadership positions because of how much it is that we do in the course of a week. Uh, And while we may not have hundreds and hundreds of people around, we've got lots and lots of administration that needs to happen. And so for us, we've got to have more leadership. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, for another, the ministry might be uh, significantly large in size. And not have quite that much going on administratively. And you could maybe get by with even maybe a smaller leadership team. Um, and then as far as the, the, how do you know when to start breaking down the tiers and such? Uh, I would say, um, that you, uh, plot probably want to plan on, uh, starting with whatever people you got running with you and don't, don't make that title so strong. Uh, again, I was using the term leadership team. And I think that was fair Uh um, because more than likely what I've seen with a number of other houses of prayer, and it's certainly the case with ours, that team will have different faces in two years and won't look much at all like it currently looks. And so you don't want to uh necessarily, you know, set things in stone so quickly and call everybody directors, you know, uh on the front end, because <clears throat> more than likely things are going to shift. Start with what you got. And then... Uh, as time goes on and as the ministry grows, start to develop uh, additional tiers uh, of leadership. But there's no reason why you couldn't have a senior leadership team and also have prayer leaders and also have worship leaders th- your first day. I mean, there's three categories right there. You know, you got your leadership team and then you got people that serve as prayer leaders and they may not be a part of your leadership team. They might. They may be we- wear both hats. Uh, and then you got those that are worship leaders and, uh, and you could do all that from day one. And I think that's actually probably healthy. So good question. More questions? Anything else? Hmm? Um
0: and you're a senior leadership team or your elders? Mm-hmm. Would those any of those be some of the people from your board if you're five C
1: three? Yeah, the question is about uh five oh one C three. Uh regarding uh the senior leadership team, whatever that looks like, whatever title you use, uh do you want some crossover from your five oh one C three board? Um I think it's very helpful. Um because you are going to, what you don't want is you don't want a body or an organization or a board that is far removed from the ministry able to make any decisions on your behalf. I mean, that is that is a bad plan because you can have the most godly people on that board, but if they're not thinking, breathing in the middle of the vision and the environment, of the house of prayer, they're going to be making decisions and processing life about the future of your ministry out of the only paradigm that they have regarding ministry. And that is whatever they grew up with or whatever they're currently doing and what you're doing and what they've known are totally different animals. And so if they're able to make decisions about your future and they don't have the vision, they're not in the midst of it, they're not in the daily grind, uh, that can be, a very counterproductive uh, to what you're trying to accomplish. So having uh, a, a crossover there or a significant amount of mesh is helpful. Um, so, yes, I, I would highly suggest that your board uh, is is a part of your leadership team. Is there a line that
0: you would draw there, though, for how much they're allowed to do with the ministry?
1: Uh, let me ask a, clar- a clarifying question. So are you asking how many... Like of the board, how many of them uh, should be serving on the leadership team? Are you saying how how much work should they be doing in the ministry? What, what are you asking?
0: How much work they should be doing in the ministry? Like I know that they need to be on the board, but do you
1: really want them involved in the day to day stuff, or does it not matter? Personal preference. The question is, uh, do you really want the members of your five hundred one c three board involved in the daily work of the of the house of prayer? Personal preference, I would say absolutely, Absolutely. Um, because you want them to understand what it is they're making decisions about. And the only way they're going to do that is if they have firsthand experiential um, knowledge of it, not you give a report and go, hey, well, this week we did this, this and this, and it was tough. And so then they go, gotcha, tough. And they have no idea what tough means. You want them to be the one going, man, it was tough, you know? And, and they are now making decisions based out of their own experience of how tough it was. Uh, so that's my suggestion. You can do it other ways. I, I'm sure there are people all across America that are doing this a variety of different ways. Just from my experience, um, uh, I, I would not be okay with having people able to make decisions about the future of our ministry who aren't themselves doing the ministry uh, because... Uh, they're they're too far removed and and they may not get it uh, or not get it well. I want them to actually have uh, the working knowledge of what it's like, um, and so that's kind of my my thought process on that. So great, great question. Okay, well we'll finish here.
0: Thank you again for tuning in to this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop in the prayer room in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, for providing this content for us to equip you. We would love for you to also check out the Presence Pioneers podcast, which exists to help you and your community host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. God bless.